This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Today marks the last segment of Women in Physics feature, and we are focusing on the impact of COVID-19 on the science and um, our physics sector. Uh, we're also focusing on the future of physics in the fourth industrial world that we are living in right now, and most importantly, how physics-related research have contributed towards our society to combat the spread of COVID-19. We are joined by Ms. Onesimo Lana from the Women in Physics in South Africa. Uh, she's a PhD candidate in physics, currently doing her research at Vets University, focusing on using data analysis method and uh, a machine learning algorithm. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Onesimo, and thank you so much for joining us right here on VoFM 88.1. Hello, Tato. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the impacts of COVID-19 have been felt by every sector. How has COVID-19 impacted or affected the science and uh, physics industry? Well, I mean, I'll just talk in terms of academia in general because um, the gender divide in academia is well documented. Even now, if you could do a search, you will see so many articles written about this. It is a fact that women face inequality and inequity. So we can see this from underrepresentation in administrative positions, biases against marriage or having children and so forth. But now what has happened in the age of COVID-19 is that these existing challenges have been exacerbated. So the effects of COVID-19, granted, yes, have been felt by scientists and scholars all over the world. But these impacts, however, um, are not felt equally by everybody. Both institutions and individuals in developing countries have fewer resources to support remote learning and working. And women often have different responsibilities that make working from home a bigger challenge than for men. So there's been an article actually that was um, written by um, Nature towards the end of July, um, which suggested that about one third of all authors that publish COVID-19 papers were um, from women. So you can already see that this has had a huge impact because women now have got a lot of pressure from either taking care of children or homeschooling, running household duties, and at the same time, because there's remote learning, there's a lot of increased demand teaching and um, home responsibilities. So women have had less time to devote to their research and grant writing. And there's been a lot of suggestions to say that um, institutions need to start having adjustment policies that are not um, or that do not treat men and well males and female researchers equally. Committees need to deal with these equity issues so that we have equitable solutions. And you are currently doing your research right now. Now, as a researcher, you perform most of your experiments uh, in the laboratories located uh, at campuses or on campus. How has everything changed in terms of how you perform experiments and research? Do you perhaps perform experiments and research remotely? Okay. So for me, it has um, changed because my research 
well, this year was going to be part um, analysis, which is I just do, you know, um, everything online. And then the other part was going to be experimental, um, which means I needed the lab. But since everything was shut down, I have not done any work related to my lab work because I have to wait for the lab to be fully functional for me to get back to the lab and actually start doing some work. So the only remote work that I've been doing is my data analysis um, related work, which has not really been something different because even um, before COVID-19, we work remotely because we collaborate with people from literally everywhere. Um, So working remotely is a norm for the kind of research that I do. It's just that now I've had to put put my um, experimental work on hold because of the pandemic and the regulations that have been set. And speaking of data analysis, like I know we spoke about this uh, during the first uh, uh, episode of uh, our feature. Uh, may you please uh, give us a background about your research and uh, the ultimate goal for the research that you've been conducting uh, in your um, level of study? Okay. So my research is under the particle physics um, stream. I think the simplest way I can put it is that we are searching for new physics. So what that means is that we have pretty much collected all the data. We have data that exists about physics, everything that we know, but there's so many other things that we don't know um, as um, physicists. For example, the simplest thing I can think of is gravity, that anybody knows that it exists and it's there. You jump, you come back down. But if you can ask a physicist what gravity is, we don't really have the equations and everything to explain what gravity is. So when I say we are searching for new physics, we are searching for new um, particles that have not yet been discovered with the hope that when we get all this information, we'll be able to explain um, phenomena that we are unable to explain right now that we know exist and some we know that it's probably there, but we have not yet discovered it. So I guess that's what I, that I, that's what I work on. Now, to get all this information, we use machines. I think that's another thing that I can put it. We use detectors that help us get the information. And from that information, my job is to just interpret the data and see whether it makes sense or if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> And, science and if it makes sense, what exactly does it say? What is it telling us? Or what's happening in the universe? Mm. And science has played uh, an important role during this COVID-19 pandemic. We solely rely on scientific research and experiments conducted by scientists to gain more insights about uh, COVID-19. Now tell us about COVID-19 related research that have been conducted. Um, how has, in simple terms, how has physics and science contributed during this uh, COVID-19 period to make sure that uh, they come up with innovative ideas and innovative strategies? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, scientists have been working tirelessly. Um, I think people usually, when they when they talk of COVID-19, the first thing that comes into their mind is doctors, nurses, you know, like the medical sciences. Actually, I think everybody from all spheres has been, you know, people have just been working. Um, so just to mention a few, um, when the pandemic started escalating in the country around March, uh, the University of Venda, staff from the University of Venda together with students from various departments, 
actually came together and started producing sanitizers and surface disinfectants. So they were doing that because they wanted to reduce uh, or to minimize the um, risk of, um, you know, COVID-19 internally. So they distributed the sanitizers to students and also the wider community. And also the Nelson Mandela University did something similar where they started um, making their own hand sanitizers. And there is two alumni um, from UCT, Tamir and Vitali, who developed um, an app that was called Corona App. Um, this app, the aim of it was to provide accessible information that would be easily accessible to help small, micro, medium enterprises during the period of lockdown. And then also another great innovation was at this. Um, the VIS team um, in the physics department, um, which was, they launched a, it, it's like they launched a COVID dashboard, which had new features um, showing the statistics of how the COVID was spreading throughout Africa. And this was actually launched around March by Professor Bruce Melado, who, by the way, is my supervisor. So this was done by my group, but I wasn't part of the research team together with senior scientists at Istanbul Lab. You can even see that um, scientists, I mean physicists, are already involved in the early stages of, you know, COVID-19. And even at TAC, the University of Pretoria, students were already started an initiative to make protective gear to, um, for certain medical aid providers. And I also know that the mechanical, industrial, and aeronautical engineering teamed up with Transnet to help Netcase in producing um, three, a 3D laser cut that they had used to make head rings because there was a, a huge, um, you know, call out because they needed assistance for head rings for the shield mask. So, yeah, people have just been involved in doing amazing um, work. And it's been researchers that are not affiliated with the medical sciences. So there has been a lot of innovation that has been done throughout um, the COVID-19. I mean, you've mentioned more than five projects that have been conducted and research. Exactly. And, and it's like, conduct- it's just minor, yes. <laughs> and, and would you say this period awarded uh, most scientists, uh, to be specific, especially those who are in the physics and science industries, uh, with uh, opportunities to be more innovative, was this uh, an oh, eye opener? Definitely. I mean, I mean, it, it just, was, just started in the, the, the pandemic started in March, right? Let's just say around March, and already I've mentioned five already initiatives that universities, you know, um, had to come up with, and also there was this whole online learning. Um, Thing that universities had to come up with plans of saying how are students going to work, what, what's going to happen with these thousands of students who are being sent at home now. And remember now, in South Africa, online learning is not something that, you know, everybody can connect, is able to do. We have people who come from places that do not even have electricity and things like that. So universities and people have to come up with creative ways to say, how do we continue with the curriculum, not even universities, even high schools, and it, it affected everybody. Work, um, companies, and and so forth. Industry also was affected by this deeply. So a lot of innovations had to come up of this. Now everybody knows online learning, Zoom, you know, Skype, and things like that. So there was a lot. 
teachers had to learn to teach um, students um, classes, conduct classes online. Students had to adapt to all of that. How do you submit assignments online? How do you write exams online and things like that? So a lot has actually happened in this um, few months. So, yeah, and definitely COVID-19 yeah, has had some positive um impact as well. And I must say uh, it was indeed an eye-opener because uh, before COVID-19 I didn't know anything about Zoom. I didn't know anything about clean feed. I didn't know anything <laughs> about broadcasting from home. And it brought a lot of opportunities at the same time. It was exactly. an eye-opener. You know? Now as we wrap up this month uh, of August, it is very important to shine a spotlight on women who have contributed their skills and uh, who have... Um, uh, played important roles uh, in their communities, including yourself, because you've overworked, you've been overworking uh, during the, this uh, uh, pandemic uh, period. Perhaps you have one or three projects that uh, stood out for you from uh, yourself and other women that we should celebrate? Oh, yeah. Um, there has been work done by women. Uh, in the research field, especially in universities, it's difficult to you know, have most people speak about the research that they've been doing until papers have been published. So I know that in the medical field, there has also been a lot of women like Prof. Ami Slogrove, who is an associate professor in the peace and child um, health at the Stellenbosch Bosch University. So she did something amazing. Um, she's based at the Breda Valley. So when the pandemic um, started escalating in that region, she actually took it upon herself to establish and started leading a COVID team. So what she did is she took her research team and redirected everybody in her team to fully support the Vera Valley Department of Health and the community. And since then, she's been on the telephonic front line of COVID-19. But the fascinating thing about this, she said that um, for all, because the government has made call-outs, you know, for people to volunteer, scientists to volunteer their skills and everything. She says that for most of the voluntary reports that were set up, most of them were led by women. And it's quite shocking because we are only speaking of the lack of women, you know, in, in, in science and in science fields. But when there is a crisis in the country... I mean, you'd expect the majority to be the ones who are leading, but she said that most of them were actually fully led by women. So the question is, where are the main scientists when you actually meet them the most during, you know, a crisis? But I guess that's a conversation for another day. And also there was Prof, um, there's Prof Cheryl Cohen, who's a professor as well, um, at the head of the Center for Respiratory Disease and Meningitis. She... Well, her um, lab was one, the first lab to actually identify the first case um, of COVID-19 in South Africa. So we salute her and her team. And for several weeks, they have been testing, doing some tests for South Africa until the tests will move on the western part of the country. But they've not only been supporting South Africa, they've been supporting a lot of other African countries for COVID diagnostic testing. And Prof. Salom Masum as well, who's the head of global surgery, has also been part of, you know, she's been doing amazing work as well um, during this time. So there has been quite a number of women who've been involved. And like I said, um, Prof. Ami mentioned that a lot of the voluntary reports were, you know, um, fully led by women. Mm.
So we salute all those women who have been working tirelessly, um, on a voluntary basis, by the way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also salute you, Onesimo. And science is all about facts. It's easy for the society to misinterpret scientific, uh, scientific <laughs> facts and concepts, especially if you are naive when it comes to science. What are the myths and misconceptions around science and physics? Uh, that's a funny one. Mm. <laughs> um, there's a lot of them. There's so many of them. Uh, I think the first one would be if you can ask any typical, you know, any person in general that they must describe a scientist to you. The first thing I'm most probably going to get is somebody who looks nerdy, you know, a Sheldon Cooper type of a person, a person who is probably socially inept. And this picture is usually a picture of a white man who, like I said, lacks social skills and who is very unsuccessful when it comes to relationships. I don't know why they think scientists are really bad <laughs> in that department. Hey. But um, this is this is just all, you know, these misconceptions, especially the nerdy one, that you need to be a genius or you need to be a dick to do sciences. Mm. It, 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 it's incorrect. It, it's completely incorrect. You find nerds everywhere. You can find a nerd in us. You can find a geek in, in, you know, in accounting and so forth. I think something that most people don't understand is that what actually drives a lot of people to do science is just a genuine deep interest. It's just a fascination about how the world operates. That's just it. That's what drives people into science. If you do not have to look like a Sheldon Cooper, and if you are somebody who's really socially inept, you will be handicapped in the sciences because you have to interact with people. You don't work in isolation and science. You work with people. You have to um, collaborate with, you know, international people. You need to be able to interact with grant committees, politicians, funders, and even the general public. Mm. Yeah, even uh, the general public. So those are one of the you know myths, and other ones there's there's a lot. Uh, like there's also this thing that we are going to design IR, and we're gonna have robots that are so powerful that they're going to take all over the world. Uh, that is the biggest misconception. I mean, okay, I don't think we are at that stage where we are going to be able to have computers that have reached a human level intelligence, and I don't think that computers can be far more intelligent than the human being. Well, at least that's what I believe. Mm. So, and a lot of other things that scientists are boring and unattractive, that's why I'm attractive. Mm. Or I believe I'm attractive, you know. I mean, we are not boring people. Scientists are people, you find them everywhere. You know, we are in martial arts, music bands, we are hip-hop dancers, fashion models, you mention it, you'll find a scientist there. You know, you know, Yes, I did a course, uh, I studied biotechnology, and while I was studying biotechnology, I used to get comments, hey, and right now, I'm, I, I, I moved to the broadcasting industry full-time, and I no longer get those comments. So, for the fact that uh, you reveal, uh, if you happen to reveal your uh, profession or uh, your course, then I, people will just judge you with regards to uh perhaps uh the course that you are pursuing or a career that you are pursuing so this one stands out for me or yeah especially if you wear glasses and i think it needs to like we need to find a way of you know um actually showing people that these are just certain misconceptions because certain some of these things actually 
uh, drive people away because somebody would be like, but I'm not a genius. Like, I don't have this, you know, nerdy type of look. I love my music and stuff like that. Well, why can't you be a musician and be a scientist? <laughs> you can. No, I, I get you. And we've got a comment from uh, Gugule Tumasango. She is listening and she said that she's so inspired by Onesimo. It's great to see women um, uh, on the science department exposing us uh, to the importance of science and research in the, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much, uh, Gugule Tumasango, for oh, that yes, tweet. Thank you, Gugu. Uh, she <laughs> is uh, so inspired by uh, your passion uh, in science. Now, speaking of uh, your passion in science, what is the future of science uh, or, and physics in the fourth industrial revolution world? How is it looking like? It's definitely not having robots rule over us. <laughs> but um, so if you think of science in general, science is pretty much driving for IR, right? But um, what, what I mean by that is, um, so scientists have been writing a lot of OIR, right? And now what's happening is that all the algorithms that people have written are then able, you know, to make or to show us information that we have not yet been able to see. You know, we are now starting to learn things that before we had not, we would not even have imagined or we have not even have learned or it have taken us a very long time to learn. But before I ask, things are happening very, very fast. Um, there is actually an article in Medium by Andre Kapati called Software 2.0 where he actually, um, 2.0, sorry, where he actually explains or discusses what programming is and how programming is currently, right? So currently we are at that point where, um, I'll just make a typical example that if you can maybe take a picture of real people, right? Take this picture and then you take a generative model. You feed this generative model with images of these real people, and then you ask the model to generate a new image. So what's going to happen is that this model will generate images of real people. Mm. Again, the people that you see, people that haven't existed in this world. Wow. So that's where we are. Wow. We are able to take images and generate new images that we haven't seen before. Now the question would be, what does this mean maybe for science or physics and so forth? Typical example of what I'm doing in physics. We can take physics. We have data for physics that exists, right? So you take that physics data, you feed the data in your generative model. Now the model, what it's going to do is it's going to produce some physics that we have not seen before. But this physics that we have not seen before is based on physics that we know or we have seen, right? Now, the, now what we have to do is we need to be able to compute this data and analyze this artificial or new physics that we see and see if we can learn anything new from it. Now, what's nice about this is that we are no longer going to take, it's not going to take us so long to be, you know, feeding this data because before you had to write code and everything like that. But now what's happening is that you can just create all these artificial simulations and then hours now if you actually check whether they valid, is this, is this simulation that we have valid, and are we able to learn anything new from it? So everything now is happening pretty fast, faster than before. And it's just put, putting people at a stage where we can work faster. Now, the only thing that we need to do is we need to be able to train ourselves 
to be able to sit in our computers and, you know, punch those codes and things like that to just, you know, verify whether the information that we're getting is valid and what are we learning from it. And that's where we are. We are pushing the limits and we are diving into places that we have not looked at before by just simply, you know, putting a few codes and letting the um, computer, like super powerful computers, do the work for you. And in that way, we will be conducting, like our scientific research will continue to evolve. It's just going to keep on evolving and evolving and the scientific community will continue to absorb even more scientific minds. Yeah, indeed, we are moving into a new world. And today marks the last segment of uh, Women in Physics feature. Why should young people pursue uh, science and physics-related careers? Why shouldn't they? Mm. <laughs> I mean, we need young, fresh, you know, brilliant minds. And as, I, as I've mentioned now about, you know, or I are that science is the driving, you know, force. It's actually, it's actually driving for I are. And, and I don't know uh, what's going to happen in the future, but we keep developing, you know, um, all these, you know, um, super powerful technologies and things like that. So that's where the world is heading into. We're heading into a world where everything will probably, you know, be functioning in an IR um, world. So if you want your, let's say, if we want South Africa to be a part of that, we need young people to keep on participating in this. And it's not to say that other careers are not important and things like that, but for example, with physics, I think the nice thing about taking careers such as physics is that there's literally no limitation. Sometimes people say the sky is the limit, and I'm like, no, it's not, because you find physics even in the sky, and you even want to go beyond that. There's literally no limitation. If you go into a banking sector, you are bound to find somebody with a physics degree. If you go into the medical field, you'll find a scientist. Go um, into the engineering sector, go, go in finance. So I think that's the nice thing about it because as a physicist, you are trained to become a problem solver. That, that, that's what you do like for your entire, entire journey. If you don't want to stay in academia, you are somebody who's been trained to be a problem solver. And we're living in a world where we've got the biggest problem is data, big data problems. And most of, um, you know, most physicists, if not all, are very good with coding. And we've got a very good background, a very good mathematical background. So that person can pretty much use that person's skills literally in any industry. And they become an asset to the development of the country. Mm. So that, I think that's why it's very important to have people or m- lots of young people taking um science-related um, careers because we need people who can solve problems, who can think and, you know, assist in developing the country. I'm in group 12 right now or I've just taken a gap year or perhaps I'm studying a course that I don't like and I'm intrigued by uh, all these elements, uh, just physics. Where, where can people go to learn more about science and physics, to learn more and get more information with regards to the career opportunities available in physics and bursaries. Perhaps you could uh, recommend um, various platforms that uh, people can visit. Um, if, if somebody has access to, if you don't have access maybe to like, you know, um, the internet and things like that, then that's a different conversation. But if somebody has access to the internet, I don't think you could be asking me where do I go to find this information because information is available on your phone, you know, mm-hmm. just do a quick search about careers in physics 
you, you, it's still going to take you a second to get all of that information. But we have cases where people don't have this access, like to the internet and things like that and so forth. Um, if there is a center, like science centers around you, or teachers at school, we need to make, like, students, I mean, especially like who are still in high school and things like that, use the, use the science teachers, hey? Ask your science teachers to get the information for you and things like that. And also, um, there is a website like the South African Institute of Physics. There's a lot of info- information about that. And I feel like once you do one search, you will see a lot of other articles related to the um, question that you have or whatever you like, or whatever your, uh, your, 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 you know, inquiry is. So you just write about physics, you'll find so a lot of material about that. Ask teachers and, I mean, look, young people, when a young person wants something, they go all the way out to get it, right? If you want, if you want to know the latest um, Nike shoe, ask a young person, they'll tell you about it. So if you're interested in science, invest as much energy that you invest on other things that are not related, you know, to careers and so forth. So if you can, if you can know songs and things like that, like on the 7th of December, there'll be a new movie coming. Well, you can't then tell me that you don't know anything about, you know, physics and things like that if you have an interest in that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that when somebody's interested in something, irrespective of, you know, where you come from and, 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 and you know, what challenges you're facing, you take it upon yourself as well to say, hey, listen, I heard Onesimo talking about physics. Okay, I don't really know much about this. I didn't know this information before. But now it's also a, your responsibility to get out and do the search. We, I, the only thing I can do is just, you know, show you the way, like talk about physics and then it's up to you now whether you're going to actually do the search and sit down and search for yourself and see whether there is a career within physics that sort of like interests you or not even physics per se, but in science which is very, science is very diverse, so you can find something that probably will interest you. But what I can say is that first know what you are interested in and what it is that you love the most, and then do a search according to that. So don't just go with the flow like, oh, she's a doctor, so I also want to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. No, we can't all be doctors. Just Mm -hmm. imagine we can't all be physicists. Very important. Just find what you love and invest yes. uh, as much energy as you can in the in that this podcast was brought to you by voice of vids by voice of vids to hear more of our shows tune in to 88.1, 88.1. or streams by www.vafm.co.za